The very first drive that I sold 25 years ago was $25,000 for a one gigabyte drive. Wow. So yeah, if you just see how much, you know, in, in 25 years, right? I mean, one gigabyte today, you're looking at eight, nine cents, 10 cents maybe for a high-end drive. So, you know, the, the, the world is, is changing rapidly when it comes to memory and storage technology. And, and I don't think that, you know, we're anywhere close to the end of that. So uh, very exciting. And, you know, if you like technology, this is certainly an area to, to keep track of. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to what is the second episode um, for 2024 for the Making It Happen by Sims podcast. Um, today, I'm joined by a very special guest, um, someone I've thought about um, inviting on for a while, and frankly, we've been able to make it happen. Um, so today, I'm joined by Esther Spania, who's uh, Micron's Enterprise Business Development and Director for EMEA. Esther, how are you? I'm good. Good morning. Thanks uh, for having me on this call. I am. Um, I know we've talked about it for a while, and I'm really uh, you know, excited to be here as well. Well, thank you. It's uh, it's been a long time coming, um, but yeah, no, really, really great to have you on, and uh, looking forward to a good chat. So, um, so for the, those of you that don't know, and you probably won't know, but um, we at Sims we work closely with Esther um, across Europe and specifically the UK um, around driving um, enterprise memory storage uh, for customers there. Um, and for those of you that don't know Esther, um, her career actually spans probably more than 20 years. And Esther can correct me if I'm wrong shortly. Yeah, um, even longer. <laughs> even longer. So I think it's probably better that you, in a bit more of your detail, is to give um, a little sure. look back at, at your time in the industry and a bit more detail around your role right now um, at Micron. Sure. So I've been um, in the flash and storage and memory industry uh, for my entire career, uh, which is uh, more than 25 years by now. Uh, I originally started uh, for a small Israeli startup company uh, called M-Systems. And you may not know their name, but you remember them from uh, the biggest invention they had, the USB flash drive. Uh, they actually invented that product. Um, since then, I've uh, worked for a variety of flash and memory companies, uh, SanDisk, Western Digital, um, some other startups. And then uh, for the last five years, I've been working for Micron. Um, for Micron, my uh, primary role is business development um, in Europe with a specific focus on the enterprise uh, data center world. So any any um, storage or memory um, that goes into a data center, into a server, into a data center, um, that's really where I try to, you know, uh, enable and, and um, you know, facilitate uh, more Micron products. And, I uh, have um, maybe one other. I have a uh, a degree um, in electrical engineering. Um, I have a master's degree in business, and I, my roles uh, historically have been uh, ranging from tech, technical support to product marketing to um, FAE manager to marketing to sales and business development. So pretty much, you know, the entire uh, span. But you know, anything that sits between a customer. And engineering, if you will, um, you know, th that's kind of where my focus has been uh, for my entire career. 
That's great. I didn't know about the the education part and and where you've delved into each area there. So that's uh, quite quite interesting. And have you always been involved in enterprise, or have you dabbled in consumer, or has it specifically been data center sort of areas that you've been involved in those roles? Um, so I've done um, mostly B two B. So uh, originally, flash uh, storage wasn't really uh, focused on the enterprise. It was more focused on industrial and uh, military purposes because you know twenty five years ago, flash was uh, so expensive, um, uh, you know, a lot of embedded uh, kind of applications. Um, but, you know, for the last 10 years, I would say 10, 15 years, it's been primarily enterprise uh, focused. Great. Okay. Well, it's it's very much enterprise and data center that we're going to be turning our attention to today in this conversation. Um, you know, as we step into 2024, um, the, the challenges of data centers are, and those using and, and owning them um, are probably more pronounced and more complex than they've I'd say ever been, you know, evidently they're hubs of digital activity, you know, the backbone of our online existence, if you will. And the growth of that consumption really does call for so much more in terms of efficiency, security and sustainability. So I think let's kick off by just dissecting some of those challenges a bit more. And I think the main one, um, I I believe, is is probably just the, the sheer amount of data that the explosion of it, right? It's pretty obvious that this is Probably the main challenge, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, I think I read roughly that somewhere that it's around 23% each year increase for data. I think there's been some anomalies in there, um, like where it's been 54 or 55, but this is probably what it's going to be steadily for the next two to three years. So with this and and coming from a memory and storage angle, Esther, you know, what solutions are we seeing in the market right now to deal with these challenges? You know, and I suppose specifically for this part around capacity and scalability and we'll come on to efficiency soon sure so um yeah you're absolutely right the amount of data that the uh, world produces as a whole um uh, doubles about every year um and so you know what do you do with all this data you know you need to store it you need to compute it you need to manipulate it and then you need to spit out you know whatever it is that you were doing with that data. So that requires um, a lot of capacity, uh, but it also requires a lot of computational uh, capability, not only from a CPU perspective, but also from a storage and memory expe- uh, per- perspective. So what we've really been seeing um, you know, over the last few years and what we will continue to see accelerated is you know, faster storage, higher capacity, um, you know, larger bandwidth in memory, um, you know, higher capacities in memory. And so, you know, and then efficiencies of how do you utilize those as best as you can? Do you get very, very close to the CPU or the GPU? Or, you know, are you actually trying to um, split them out and have separate, um, you know, banks for storage uh, versus locally within the CPU? So those are all the the kind of, you know, the, the, the trade-offs that you have to do within a data center to find the most optimal uh, solution for, um, you know, for, for your requirement. Of course, the, the, the biggest trend that is driving uh, a lot of this at the moment is artificial intelligence. Right. That is the, uh, you know, the one thing that everybody is talking about, um, you know, for the last, I would say, year, two years. And, uh, you know, the the expectation is that 2024 really will be the year that um, AI servers in the data center are really going to kick off. And, you know, and they require some, you know, very, very special uh, optimization and a ton more storage and memory. Um, the, The analysts are saying uh, that an AI optimized server um, can get up to three times more 
uh, more storage and up to eight times more memory than a st standard general purpose server. Mm -hmm. So, you know, three times more storage, eight times more memory. Of course, that requires, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, optimization of efficiencies and, and trade-offs in terms of, you know, how much money am I willing to spend versus, you know, how much, uh, you know, computational efficiency uh, I'm looking for. Yeah, and just in terms of capacity of those drives, uh, and you know, from a micron or anyone at the manufacturing semiconductor level, uh, are they really looking to sort of push these drives up in terms of you know? I think we're seeing drives at thirty to sixty terabytes now. It's, are these kind of drives going to be used in that uh, AI sort of uh, yeah. environment, um, or is it still going to be smaller scale? Yeah, so we're definitely seeing uh, thirty terabyte drives, and uh, you know, soon sixty terabyte drives. Um, these are typically used for um, when you're looking at an, a data lake. When you're when you're running artificial intelligence, there is multiple steps in that artificial intelligence that you need to um, kind of look before you can actually utilize the whole uh, model. And and the training model, the training part of artificial intelligence, means that you have to have a lot of data sitting somewhere that you can then start to crunch and actually feed into the model to teach the model what it actually needs to do. Um, now, typically that, that data has been sitting on um, on hard disk drives because they are the lowest cost, uh, you know, storage uh, devices. The challenge when you do that with hard disk drives is that you now have um, a fairly expensive GPU enabled server that, um, you know, is crunching this data and, you know, the GPUs are substantially higher cost than any storage in your server. And when you look, when you use hard disk drives, um, you know, the, the it cannot feed the GPU fast enough. So you have GPUs sitting idle. And so what we're seeing more and more is that um, the hard disk drives are being replaced with high capacity um, SSDs as cost optimized as they possibly can. Mm -hmm. um, so that, you know, when you're running these training models, you actually, you know, have uh, the GPU utilization um, as, as good as possible. And, you know, you can crunch and, and make those training models run much faster. So that is a, certainly a trend that we're seeing because the overall cost of the solution, um, you know, can be substantially lower when you're using a high capacity SSD versus using maybe lower cost hard disk drives, but, you know, you've paid a lot for your GPU that you then, you know, cannot efficiently use because of the speed of the hard disk drive. Sure. And, and we'll continue that AR conversation in just a second, but you've just brought up hard disk drives there. And I just want to, just for our listeners who, who may or may not know too much about data centers and, and they use these things, these, play, these, well, hard disk drives are probably still going to have a place and utilization in data centers, right? So of course. AI is one thing and these super high capacity, well-performing SSDs are going to have a place for AI, but where do we see the future of hard disk drives in a data center? Um, I, I think there will always be um, a place for hard disk drives. I, you know, there's been a lot of, you know, I've been in this industry for, you know, as I mentioned, 25 years. Um, there is always the question, you know, when is hard disk drive going to replace SSD? Uh, the same as the question is, you know, when is tape, uh, yeah, tape going yeah. to, uh, you know, going to uh, die? And, and I don't think that any of them will. I think all of them will have a place 
Um, what we do see, though, is that hard disk drive, the focus with hard disk drives is on larger and larger storage, uh, you know, capacity. And that is going to be more and more used for what we call cold storage. Mm -hmm. So, you know, storage that needs to sit there, uh, but that you don't have to, you know, actively access. And then uh, the more warm or hot storage will be uh, moving on to SSD. So what you're seeing the hard disk drive industry doing is A, um, you know, uh, moving away from the higher performing hard disk drive. So 15K RPM hard disk drive um, are pretty much non-existing. 10K RPM hard disk drives are on their way out. And what you'll start to uh, see remain is the 7200 RPM hard disk drives, um, you know, in higher and higher capacities. Um, and all of the, you know, kind of higher performance requirements, um, even if it's just slightly higher performance, will be replaced with um, SSDs. Also, because the minimum capacity of an SSD um, is, you know, we're starting um, at 480 gigabyte, whereas, you know, the lowest capacity hard disk drive um, you know, um, is is less than I think it's two terabyte is is the mm -hmm. minimum capacity at the moment. So you know, when you're trying to to look at you know, you need some kind of capacity, but you don't necessarily need all that capacity. Um, which you know, and at the same time, then if you take a hard disk drive, you also have to look at the um, the power consumption of a hard disk drive, uh, which is becoming um, you know more and more important in the data center today. Uh, the the you know the idle power consumption of a hard disk drive is still substantially higher than the idle consumption of a an SSD. Um, and so when you're taking those two into consideration, is what you see is that you know the what used to traditionally be stored on hard disk drives is moving to SSD, and only hard disk drives are being used in uh, where you know you really need to have a lot of high capacity, uh, large uh, storage capability for what we call colder. Uh, data. So the overall hard disk drive industry, that's the trend that they're going after. Um, you know, the 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 lower end uh, of the capacity range is being replaced by SSDs, but I don't think we will ever get to a situation where we will not have hard disk drives in the data center and it will all be SSDs. Um, I, I don't believe that that's uh, certainly not in the next decade. No. Okay. That's, uh, and I think the, the example of there is tape and, and how that is still used. Right every you know prominently as well so um, actually it's making a comeback at the moment <laughs> yeah no i did see something on linkedin about some trends there so um but again there's there's different use cases for everything right we're all not everyone's a hyperscaler that's going to be using hbm or ddr5 you know and there's and we'll get, get get onto that a bit now i think and and a bit more around performance performance and latency i guess and and the need to process data for ai in real time and just make fast decision making so I think you mentioned a few things there about high bandwidth memory, you know, for example, HBM, and I know that's something that Micron uh, are big on and, and they're producers of, right? So, you yep. know, um, let's talk a little bit about HBM and its uses and 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 where where Micron are at with that, and then we'll sort of move on to maybe DDR5 and, and how these technologies within the market right. set them apart from memory storages of the past, to be honest. Yeah, so HBM is um, is of course an amazing technology because it requires, you know, it's the word stands right, right, high high bandwidth memory. Um, but this is a technology that sits very, very close to the CPU. Um, it is actually, you know, incorporated typically um, with together with the GPU. So it is already part of the 
um, either the motherboard or uh, the the GPU module that you know um, is is connected to the motherboard. So when you are um, when you are configuring a data center, you already the, the the HBM is not a separate component that you can kind of choose. It's already part of the uh, the GPU um, you know uh, module that you that you're putting into your server. Um, so this is uh, clearly you know a large enabler for uh, you know, optimizing GPU capability. Um, you know, we have roadmaps to uh, what is called, you know, HBM, well, one, two, and three is coming out. Um, but these are, if you will, chips that are, you know, soldered onto either the motherboard or uh, the GPU module. So it's not a configurable, um, you know, item in your data center. It is already part of the, you know, the hardware as, um, you know, you either buy it or you design it depending on, you know, whether you're a hyperscaler or mm -hmm. uh, whether you you know you're more of a tier two data center that you know buys uh, you know uh, separate configurations. Yeah, and I think um, especially as well with the the growth of DDR five, you know, I, I think I just want to talk a little bit about the types of data centers. You know, from a lot of stuff of the technology we're talking about there, that'll be used at the top, right? So the Amazons, the AWSs, the hyperscalers will be starting to incorporate that technology. Yep. But obviously, you know, and you, and you can speak from experience in Europe and and within the UK, you know, there's smaller DCs at around five to 10,000 servers. You know, we're not talking massive amounts. Where are they at with the technology from what you're seeing? You know, they're, they're, they're probably trending some way behind. There's not quite a need to move to to any of this just yet. Yeah. So the um, the the what we what we would call tier two data centers, um, you know, the ones that you know are in that five ten thousand uh, server range, um, they they definitely always uh, you know are running a few years after the large hyperscalers, um, you know, for obvious reasons, um, but they are currently all moving um, to DDR five. So um, the, the the motherboards that enable DDR5 have been starting to ship now for about you know eight nine months, and so we're starting to see new deployments of um, servers in um, in the market with DDR5. So uh, DDR5 uh, products came out about a year and three months ago or something like that. Um, at the moment, I would say we're at about fifty percent um share between ddr4 and ddr5 so uh we're starting to see more and more demand for ddr5 um you know into these data centers um a lot of the ddr4 is still being used for upgrading existing infrastructure or refreshing existing infrastructure but any new infrastructure that is being put into a data center today will all be using ddr5 um as you know all the new motherboards and servers that are being um, you know, sold today are mm -hmm. uh, DDR5 enabled. Sure. And I, th I suppose it's, I'm talking a bit about that technology. Um, I've read somewhere that was expected to be around 90% of data centers were actually using NVMe by this point um, compared to SATA. Um, and there's obviously reasons for that. Do you think we're anywhere near that figure still, or is there still a lot of DCs using SATA-based technology? Um, again, here, I think you have to make a, a big distinction between the hyperscalers and, um, you know, the tier two data centers. So the hyperscalers absolutely are all 100% on NVMe. You know, you won't find, you know, an Amazon or a Google that's still going to buy any SATA drive. But mm -hmm. in the, what we call, you know, the tier two data centers, so in the channel, um, you know, those smaller 
um, customers. There's still a lot of upgrade happening uh, with SATA. Uh, we still see when we're looking at the amount of um, units that we are shipping in Europe, uh, we're probably still shipping slightly more SATA units than NVMe. Uh, when you're looking at the capacity that we're shipping, so how many bits are we shipping, um, it is um, slightly higher on the NVMe side. And that's just simply because the average NVMe drive that we, we sell um, is, you know, higher capacity on average than the average um, SATA drive. But, um, you know, call it, you know, 50, 50, 40, 60, something like that. So SATA absolutely is not dead, um, but we are seeing uh, eventually um, in the next few years, it will slowly uh, phasing out. And the reason for that is that the native uh, support for SATA um, in the HBA uh, for Intel um, is going to be, uh, I believe it's 2026 when they stop that. Um, and so once there is no more native SATA support, um, you know, you will slowly start seeing that, um, you know, that, that technology diminishing. So I think there's still a long tail for SATA, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, it's not going to be forever uh, like, like tape, um, just because at some point, you know, there will be no more motherboards that support SATA. Sure. Okay. No, that's really, really good detail and, and very informative, I imagine. Um, so before the next part I want to come to, onto is, is sustainability. Um, but before we do that, so I think just to recap, um, sheer scalability, performance, these are the challenges that are sort of facing DCs. Do you think we've missed anything there? Is there anything else that you think, you know, in terms of challenges out there for our DCs that, that we can cover? Because I did mention security, but again, if that's something at the forefront. And, uh, and uh, frankly, I don't see a, li a lot of questions about that um, with our customer base. Uh, for example, we have, you know, uh, we sell uh, SSDs that that enable encryption. Um, and But <clears throat> surprisingly, I only have a handful of customers that are interested in that. Um, so I would imagine that the security um, is done on a different level and not on a drive level. Um, the, uh, so, so yeah, I, I, it's not a big, it's not a big topic in, in my everyday discussions with uh, my customers. What is, um, certainly more important is the, the power consumption. So a lot of, uh, customers, you know, ask very detailed questions about, um, you know, how much, uh, you know, efficiency, uh, they can get from either DRAM or um, SSD. And just to give you an idea on the um, efficiency between uh, DDR4 and DDR5, um, because of the different architecture of how a DDR5 module is built, it is actually about 20% more efficient in terms of providing um, performance uh, for the same amount of uh, wattage. So, you know, if you if if you would run both DDR4 and DDR5 at the same speed, um, which, you know, we know we wouldn't because DDR5 is always going to be higher speed. But even if you were to run it on the same speed, you can actually get, you know, more efficiency out of your DDR5 mm -hmm. just of the the way the, the actual architecture of the module is, is set up. So um, that is, you know, part of the reason why DDR5 is also uh, becoming more attractive to to customers because it just gives you, you know, more performance for the same amount of power and, you know, more efficiency, what we call, um, you know, uh, bus efficiency. Um, and then similarly on uh, the SSD side, um, you know, the the idle power and uh, the time, you know, you actually need to, to or the, the amount of power you need to, to write data to an SSD 
and the time that when you don't write data, how, how much power it needs, it's substantially better mm -hmm. than a hard disk drive. So there is a lot of request questions about, you know, efficiencies of power and how do you really optimize that, um, especially in the last few years with the, um, you know, Ukraine-Russia uh, war, where, you know, uh, prices of electricity, you know, went through the roof. Um, you know, everybody was figuring out how the hell they can optimize their their power footprint or their, you know, energy footprint as, as, as much as possible. So that's certainly a, a big discussion um, all the time. Yeah, I can imagine. I think that kind of brings us on to our next bit around sustainability. Yep. You know, I think for data centers more than ever, you know, they're kind of seen as the bad guys, but we need them and they do take up a, you know, a huge footprint in the world. Um, and I suppose for operators and facility owners, you know, they've got two battles, right? So they've got the battle of the actual facility, you know, the cooling systems, IO containment, recycling the heat, and actually how their data center is set up from an infrastructure perspective. But then also, you know, there's another battle that how they can affect that within the server and, and the, the components that they choose. So I think from that perspective, I think you kind of just probably summed up there. It's it's an efficiency game and and, and what's available from Micron on the market now, um, SSD and DRM wires to to actually help with that power consumption, and, and I'm sure you, you you're ever evolving in that technology to, to to sort of hit with that message, right? Yeah, and I, and I think um, many of our customers are taking even a step further, and they're actually trying to understand what the um, the footprint is of their supply chain. So not only do they want products that you know help them manage their data center in the most efficient way. Um, and with the lowest uh, right environmental footprint, but they're also looking at okay, so you know you're going to supply me with you know this product, you know what did it take to actually produce that product? So we have a lot of customers are asking us for our sustainability and, and environmental um, implementation in our in our facilities in our uh, manufacturing processes and um you know what our footprint is so um micron is is certainly on the forefront of that um in in the semiconductor industry um you know we we are having some very lofty goals of being um you know net zero um in in our um all of our manufacturing and our operations um by 2050 and i know that sounds really far away uh, but in some regions of the world where we operate uh, there's simply no access to renewable energy no. so we need to actually build the projects and and make it done uh, but where we do have access to renewable energy um for example our facility in malaysia is running 100 percent all renewable energy uh, we're building two new large manufacturing facilities in the united states um, together with the existing facilities are going to be running 100% on renewable energy by the end of this year. Um, and so, you know, we, we have a lot of, you know, goals also with re with regards to a recycling of water and waste and, uh, you know, that, that we track and that we share uh, publicly on our website. So um, a lot of customers are, you know, obviously focused on their their own footprint, but they're mm. certainly um, starting to ask a lot of questions about the footprint of their suppliers as well. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I feel very comfortable um, answering those questions um, at the moment because of the, uh, you know, very progressive steps that, uh, that that Micron is taking in that field. Yeah, and, and obviously more so now, do you actually see it as part of a real decision-making process for them about, you know, who they're going to use? It's, it's actually probably a, a top three or maybe top five 
sort yep. of decision making thing along with cost and, and technology and all these things that go with it. It's really up there now, isn't it? It's it's certainly getting there. Yes, we certainly, you know, we, we're being asked by customers to provide, you know, uh, a lot of the data. Um, there is even customers that are asking us for, um, you know, the carbon footprint per, per product. So they say, if I buy one DRAM module, what's the actual carbon footprint associated with that? I don't think we're there yet in terms of doing that, uh, you know, a real details calculation, but those are certainly the kind of questions that we're starting to get. So um, it is, you know, in the larger data centers um, in Europe, it is certainly a big part of their decision-making at the moment already. Yeah, sure. Okay, cool. Thank you for that. So um, another part that I wanted to touch on, and it's probably something that um, we speak on probably once a month and that's, and that's the market. (laughs) Um, uh, So, you know, it's, it's, the market is very cyclical here in the memory and storage industry and very up and down. And we've had a very interesting time of it. And, you know, um, as I'm talking about this right now, it might be maybe a little bit trickier for people to get their hands on things. I don't know. Maybe you can explain a bit more, but, you know, we've been in a probably, what I, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but a state of oversupply for some time off of the back of the pandemic. Um, but things have changed and they're ever changing. You know, you've, Obviously, Mike and, and along with everyone in the semiconductor industry have, have suffered some losses, and there's had to be some some cut to supplies to sort of to to to, to sort of deal with that balance. Um, but can you give our you know you you give it to me all the time, Esther? But can you give it our up our listeners a bit more of an update on the um, sure. market dynamics right now, especially specifically around enterprise storage? Yep. Um, so the um, you know we, the 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 situation that we are in today is really the result of COVID when, um, you know, nobody in the world could get their hands on products. And so everybody just, you know, bought and bought and bought as long as they could get something. And what we ended up in a situation is that, you know, a lot of the customers, you know, large customers worldwide ended up with a lot of inventory. And as soon as, you know, kind of COVID eased up and and shipments started to happen again, uh, those customers, you know, then ended up with a lot of inventory in their warehouses and demand, um, you know, drops uh, dramatically. Now, in the semiconductor industry, um, for any semiconductor company, um, you know, to adjust their output to the demand is is a long process. Um, to give you a flavor, um, to actually make a product from the moment we start what we call a wafer till you actually have a finished good, it's about three months. So um, every time, you know, when there is changes in market demands, whether it's up or down, it always takes the industry time to adjust. And so what we ended up um, seeing, you know, about a year and a half ago was that the industry, you know, wasn't quick enough in in its adjustment to to the reduced demand. And so we got into a very severe oversupply situation, which then, uh, you know, made the prices drop, uh, you know, uh, tremendously. Um, And so since uh, the start of 2023, um, as a result of this, the all of the vendors in the semiconductor industry uh, decided to cut their production uh, dramatically so that we would get into a more balanced uh, supply demand situation. And so that has gone um, that that supply constraint or limitation in supply has been going on now for about a year. And we're now getting into a market where, um, you know, our, our customers have gone kind of through that inventory that, that they had built up and they're now getting back into a nor- more normal cadence of um, buying products on a regular basis. And again, I'm talking about all of the markets, whether it's automotive, mobile, data center, right? I mean, at the end of the day, what we sell is, you know, flash uh, and storage 
regardless of what end product is going to go into. Mm -hmm. um, and so what happened is, is that, you know, at the moment, the uh, we're getting now into a situation where the market is constrained. There is not enough products being manufactured for the amount of demand that there is because demand has slowly started to pick up to, you know, kind of regular level, if you will. But the suppliers, um, you know, there is a, a limited set of suppliers are all, if you will, artificially uh, keeping their production low um, because of the uh, tremendous losses that they have, um, you know, seen throughout 2023. To run a semiconductor operation, you're looking at billions of dollars on a quarterly basis. And so that money, um, you know, all companies, um, including Micron, but, you know, all of our competitors have lost billions of dollars um, in 2023. And so the what the only way to get out of that situation and for um, everybody to get back into profitability and being, you know, a company that's going to be around in another five, 10 years uh, means we have to, you know, get the prices back up so that we can turn profitable again. So what we're seeing at the moment is that the uh, the market is, if you will, artificially kept constrained um, so that prices will continue to go back to the levels where everybody is making money. Um, and that situation will remain throughout 2024. Um, at the moment, the uh, all the vendors are, uh, if we look at the NAND market, so the storage market, we're at about 60% um, utilization rate and the DRAM market, we're at about 80% utilization rate. And so no vendor will increase its production up until they start, you know, making money again, which means that prices have to go up um, before, you know, why would you, you know, produce more if you're going to, you know, ship a product that you're losing money on. So the, the focus of all of the, um, the semiconductor companies is to, get the prices back up to where they need before they start adding uh, more production. And that really is expected to last uh, at least throughout 2024. Um, maybe towards the end of 2024 is when we start seeing some uh, release in that. And what that really means is that prices will continue to go up uh, month over month, quarter over quarter. Um, I know that's not something that customers will want to hear, um, but the, 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 the reality of it is that if we don't do that, then, you know, in five years, customers will not have a supplier uh, yeah. to give them products anymore uh, because, you know, it, it is not a survivable situation. So um, that is the market uh, at the moment. We will continue to be constrained uh, and we will continue to see prices going up throughout. And again, this is not a micron uh, story. This is really, you know, any uh, DRAM or SSD vendor you will be talking to will be um you know having the exact same story sure and and just on that and you work closely with customers every day so what would your advice be to these customers is it a case of working closely with your supplier to plan and forecast for the future yeah absolutely forecast is key and um and even more key is backlog right you backlog is king you know if you tell me you're going to buy it and then another customer places the backlog, then, you know, uh, the people in the back end of the business, you know, have to make a decision then. So um, understand that lead times will increase or have increased already. Um, you know, it's not going to be the same situation as in 2023, where we can ship, you know, in a matter of days, it's going to be longer lead time forecasting and communication is going to be key. And understanding that, uh, you know, prices will uh, continue to go up and plan accordingly is really what I would recommend anybody in the industry.
Yeah, I think that's the best advice. Um, so no, thank you for that and, and discussion on the market and a bit of a foresight into what the future might look like there. And something I like to do with guests, depending on the top topic and if it fits, is to sort of predict a little bit on the future. And I think we can probably do a little bit of that now. Um, so we've discussed a fair amount around the technologies available now and, and where they're moving. Um, but what sort of trends and technology advancements do you really see being key and, and massive in the next five years for, for memory storage from your perspective? Um, well, I mean, it's all uh, driven by, you know, going bigger, faster, higher, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and, and AI really is at the forefront of that. So uh, we're certainly going to see um, on the DRAM side, um, right, we're going to see uh, more, you know, better, bigger, faster, high bandwidth memory uh you know for for those uh, products that go directly um you know uh, into a gpu um but if you look at the module uh, business ddr5 uh we will see uh, this year alone uh we'll see you know uh, speeds increasing uh you know to 5600 then to 6400 then to 8000 uh, mega transfers per second uh, which is just, you know, manic. I mean, a year ago, we were still at 3,200 megatransfers yeah. per second. Um, we see that. We see, you know, higher capacities, uh, 128 gigabyte, um, you know, uh, modules. Um, at some point, 256 gigabyte modules. And again, all of that is driven by a lot of the AI requirements. As I mentioned at the beginning of our talk, um, an AI server can have up to eight times as much memory in it than uh, a regular general purpose server. So it, it's all about bigger, faster, uh, higher. On the SSD side, um, NVMe certainly is the the main technology that we'll continue to see. Um, PCIe Gen 5 um, will start to make its inroad uh, this year, really primarily uh, at the hyperscale data centers that um, are already qualifying um, some PCIe Gen 5 products, uh, but we'll start slowly, slowly seeing that into, you know, smaller data centers kind of next year and onwards. Yep. Um, and then uh, the other trend that we'll continue to see is, you know, these high capacity, um, you know, uh, 30 terabyte and, and beyond products. Um, at the same time, we'll start seeing some more optimized form factors uh, for uh, NVMe and PCIe um, that you know are a little bit different than uh, what we've what we've seen now. So today we um, the the two main form factors in NVMe are M.2 and U.3, and um, you know we're starting to go towards um, some uh, some slightly different form factors called um, E3. Um, we have E1.L and E1.S, and now we're moving to something called E3. Um, and that is, uh, you know, um, if you will, it looks like a two and a half inch drive, but it is, you know, a lot of optimization are done around NVMe and the PCIe Gen 5 bus. So it is slightly different, different connector, uh, but that, you know, in general, which will be um, what we're going to see in the next few years. So PCIe Gen 5, E3 uh, form factor, and um, on, on the DRAM side, uh, DDR5, uh, bigger, better, faster. Brilliant. Okay. Well, thank you for that, Esther. And, and thank you so much for your time today. I feel that like we covered a lot there and I'm uh, yeah, super excited to get this one out. So um, yeah, thank you again and for your time. And uh, hopefully uh, we can catch up again and, and see where, if all of that's come true and I'm sure it has and, and where we are with it all. Cause uh, yeah, this, this thing moves fast, right? Yeah, absolutely. It, it does. I mean, you know, I always, many times I start my, uh, whenever I have a 
do a presentation in front of a crowd, I ask people, you know, take a guess what, you know, I sold my very first SSD um, 25 years ago. Um, it was a one gigabyte drive, uh, you know, and I sold it to a military customer for a data recording in a plane. And, you know, I, I you know, I, I always ask, so, you know, take a guess, you know, how much I sold that drive for. And, and, you know, people take a guess, but then when I actually give the answer, everybody is just so flabbergasted. So my very first drive that I sold 25 years ago was $25,000 for wow. a one gigabyte drive. Wow. So, yeah, if you just see how much, you know, in, in 25 years, right? I mean, one gigabyte today, you're looking at eight, nine cents, 10 cents, maybe for a high-end drive. So, you know, the the, the world is is changing rapidly when it comes to memory and storage technology. And, and I don't think that, you know, we're anywhere close to the end of that. So uh, very exciting. And, you know, if you like technology, this is certainly an area to to keep track of. Yeah, that's it. I imagine the portfolio back then was a lot easier considering now we're talking thousands. It's just the, the pure education and information you have to give people that's best for them, right? There's so many options out there, but there will be something that fits, right? Yep, absolutely. So, absolutely. No. All right. Well, thank you. And I wish you a good rest of your day and we will catch up soon. Thanks so much. Cheers, Esther. It was a pleasure being here. Thank you so much. Thank you, Esther.